Peter Williams from One O'Clock on RCR, Reality Check Radio. This is Reality Check Radio. Casey Costello is a trustee and main spokesperson for Hobson's Pledge, an organisation that wants to ensure all New Zealanders are equal before the law, irrespective of when they or their ancestors arrived in New Zealand. And once again, the issue of preference for Māori has come to light uh, in recent days with the priority of factors on hospital waiting lists now including, among other factors, ethnicity, with Māori and Pacifica patients possibly being bumped up the list ahead of non-Māori and non-Pacifica patients or because of their ethnicity. So here to talk about that and other issues is Casey Costello. Casey, thanks for joining us here. Good to have you with us again. Thank you. Thanks very much, Peter. Good to talk to you. Right. So the list of factors uh, for priority on the waiting lists uh, has, I think, five elements. Uh, Clinical need being, of course, the most important. Uh, And then there's where you live in the country. Ethnicity is a fair way down the list. Do you think it will really be in play all that much because of how far down the list it is? I think the, the factor is whether it's in play or not, it's abhorrent that it's there. Um, that that race is being inserted, because if it's a factor that weighs, you know, if we're we you and I are the same issue, same we live in the same location, we have the same health issue, to suggest purely on my ethnicity that I should be ahead of you, is is just wrong. It's just not. It should not be a factor. It just it it's no need for it to be a factor. And it's not the New Zealand that we know, and and to suggest that it's just Māori, you know, that there's just Māori and Pacifica on an ethnicity basis, when there is no substantive evidence that there is a causal link between poor outcomes and the delivery of health services. There's lots of rhetoric and discussion, but it's there's no causal link in. And this is this kind of correlation, causation, differentiation. It just shouldn't be there. It doesn't need to be, and it creates a precedent. And we've seen what this happens when you create a precedent, then you create a runaway freight train in all other aspects. But the statistic that is wheeled out most is that Māori don't live as long as non-Māori. Therefore, they should get uh, easier access to health services. I mean, that is a statistic you can't deny, do you believe there are other factors, though, in in Māori life expectancy and you being uh, a wahine Māori yourself? Well, if you looked at what the World Health Organisation says about the influences of health outcomes, what, what actually is the, the factors that determine um, whether, you know, health is... Um, you know, what your health outcome is. There's income and social protection, there's education, unemployment, job security, work-life conditions, food insecurity, housing, basic amenities, early childhood development, social inclusion, structural conflict, and access to affordable health services of decent quality. So all of these other factors, only one that determines health outcomes, and that's from the World Health Organization, Social Determinations of Health, there's only one that talks about the health, all of these other factors. So when you burden a health system to correct something that they have no control over, then you're you're depriving um, those in need of, of better outcomes. And you know, like the poverty factor to suggest that only Māori are poor is wrong. So that those statistics are being so skewed and we're not looking at the truth. We're not looking at the reality. We're just picking an emotive target. And um, Dr. Laurie Knight did an amazing submission on the, on the um, Pyota Healthy Futures Bill when it was before Parliament. And he pulled out the 2018 statistics for life expectancy. And when you looked at the life expectancy of, you know, for example, males, of the list of ethnicities that were you know, highlighted in the statistics, of which there were nine, Māori, yes, was at the bottom. European were fifth. So to suggest that the, you know, the health system is systemically racist and biased towards an ethnicity, um, or that they're racist at all, well, it's an insult to all the healthcare providers that provide such amazing services. But why aren't Europeans at the top if it's about 
you know, white privilege and those sort of things. Why isn't European life expectancy at the top? Do you believe, and, and those are the factors that haven't discussed. Yeah. Do you believe that Maori are actually bumped off waiting lists or, or pushed further down waiting lists because of their ethnicity? Because those are the claims that have been made in recent days when people like yourself fight and, back against this list. Because I would just find that extraordinary that if there are examples of yeah. that in the New Zealand Public Health Service. And if there was examples of that, why has there been no prosecutions by, you know, in terms of our our rights under the Bill of Rights, why has there been no prosecutions? Not one. There has been none. Why has no one been prosecuted of racism, you know, for, for you know, failing to uphold? There has been no uphold, upheld complaints on this. So if it is as bad as they say, why is this not proven? When you talk about anecdotal instances, and, you know, we all have the anecdotes, that has not been linked to the the you know the academic and scientific studies. New Zealand Initiative did an in-depth study about every life worth the same to determine whether this you know anecdotal you know this exists so therefore this means this system is systemically racist. It's not been proven. And these anecdotal for every anecdote that you have of something bad happening Everybody's got those stories about you know being bumped off waiting lists. That's not unique to Māori. That everybody in this day and age, every single New Zealander that knows someone who's dealing with a health issue knows someone that's been bumped off a waiting list or deferred or had their surgery postponed or all of those things. Just because it happened, there's there isn't a causal link to say it's because of your race that this has occurred. Yes, there's an underfunded health system. But to, to design a solution like this and say this instance occurs, it's like saying you spend more money when it's cold. Like there's, you know, tend to be, you know, people spend more money in in cold climates, you know, when it's winter. That's like saying, okay, well, we'll lower the temperature in every shopping mall and everybody will spend more money. It's just, it's not, it's, there's no correlation, there's no causal link between this. It's a, and, and this is why I'm so upset about what they've, they've inserted into this as a consideration. What about access to primary care, Casey? Because this is another issue that, again, is trotted out on a regular basis. Māori don't have the right access or as much access to primary health care as other ethnicities. I'm thinking, how can this possibly and, and be? I, yeah, and that's that's where um, again um, Dr. Laurie Knight um, drew some observations about the um, the Maori health provider system that was created um, as a solution to to that, and that those the success of the you know and this is we're going back. 20 years that this was set up, the Māori health provider system. Some have achieved great results, but it hasn't given a marked improvement and hasn't shown any significant higher engagement with those providers than with the main um, health system providers. So if those systems were massively successful, then we could argue it was an access. But everybody... So it's it's the how you distort statistics. When there's a larger proportion of Māori living in rural communities, um, then you're going to have a skewed, you know, result if you take it around the whole country um, of access to primary care because we know everybody that lives in small regional communities uh, are struggling to access healthcare or primary healthcare. So it, it's. It's not a solution, no matter which way you look at it, it's not a solution specific to an ethnicity. It's specific to the dem, you know the, the, the factors that affect everybody. Poverty, isolation, you know all of the, all of those considerations around education and so it's not it's just it's just skewing it. it's distracting um, organizations from better outcomes. Um, and, and you know, removing accountability because you can just say, oh, this is because of racism. It's, it's just not, it doesn't pan out. Yeah, and you know what, these 
statistics, these factors, these surveys that you're referencing there, there are many other international examples of this as well. There have yep. been uh, surveys done or, or studies done uh, on racism and its effects, its impacts in Britain. And the man who yep. headed the committee there, and this is going back about only two or three years, came back with exactly the same conclusions as you've quoted here. It's it's not ethnicity, it's not race that is the determining factor, it's the socioeconomic status. And frankly, the less yep. money you have, the lower you are down the socioeconomic ladder, uh, the more issues you have accessing things like health. And let's not forget also that matter of personal responsibility as well, because if you need to go to the doctor, if you have an appointment, you should take up that appointment. And there's a, you know, the old did not shows. Uh, when they do the survey of those, a lot of Maori are top of that list as well, aren't they? Yeah, and and again, if you if you factor in, like if you just look at numbers of people, the number of um, Maori living below, below the poverty line versus you know children who are living in a below the poverty line kind of um, um, income brackets. That purely the number versus the number of um, non-Māori who are living in that same specific. When you skew to say, okay, Māori are going to get priority, then what about all those people who are equally um, exposed, at risk, vulnerable? Um, what what do you say to them? I'm sorry, they, because of their ethnicity, your dire situation doesn't factor that's just, I mean, it's just abhorrent. It's not the New Zealand that we know, and it's its really sad. And the burden on the health system, and I, I think um, uh, Professor Des Gorman, who, who's, um, um, who was the, wrote the forward for the New Zealand Initiative, he talked about the fact that when you have a health system, there is very little movement. There's only really two factors and it's one that you can manipulate. As one is who is entitled and what they're entitled to, and access. On the other hand, so th those are really the only things that the health system can manipulate. So, so what they've said is that you're going to manipulate who's entitled. Yep. And you're going to manipulate who's entitled based upon ethnicity. <sighs> And that's the only way you can skew the outcomes. And and if that, I don't care how much you have concern about Māori, to suggest that that is an outcome is is just sad. That that's not who we are. Well, one thing that has been set up by this government is, of course, the Māori Health Authority, and there is a promise yep. of an incoming national act government to. Uh, disestablish that Maori Health Authority. But that brings us around to this whole general issue of co-governance in this country. It's still being talked about. There's a tour going on around New Zealand at the moment led by this man, Julian Batchelor. Now, I have not been to one of his meetings. I don't know what he says, uh, but there is an awful lot of pushback against uh, what Julian Batchelor is saying. Uh, do you know the content of what he presents, Casey? And do you know... Whether or not he is dangerous, is he is he speaking out and out racism, or is he speaking some truth here? What, what's your take on stop co governance? I, I'm a bit like you, Peter. I've, I I know that this movement exists, and I know, um, and because I I believe that we need to stop co governance, I I haven't listened to him speak, and I haven't, and and my my foundation is that we are a nation that should be protecting free speech. And if he's saying something controversial or upsetting, then the answer isn't, you know, to silence. The answer is to more speech, to debate, to challenge, to have forums where his his thinking and views can be. But to suggest that you shut people out of venues or you close down, we, we've had this in New Zealand, and I think it's a very dangerous path. Um, and that's really all I can say. Is I, I, I believe co-governance is to the detriment of New Zealanders. Um, it's the demise of our democracy and, and anybody who understands you know, the principles of equal suffrage will know why that adversely impacts outcomes. But um, yeah, in terms of what, what he actually says, I just believe that we are a nation that's supposed to be protecting free speech and what I'm concerned about is the efforts that's been going to silence someone who says something that I don't like is worrying. 
Yeah, the worst thing is that we've got elected civic leaders trying to shut him down. The mayor of the Clutha district uh, around the town of Belclutha, Brian Cadigan, saying he's not welcome in my town. Uh, near where I live in Wanaka, yeah. the chair of the community board has rung up the owner of the venue, which is uh, hosting this meeting, saying this is a divisive issue. We don't want this man in our town. He's going to uh, cause <laughs> cause problems here. I mean, where are these elected officials coming from? Aren't they supposed to represent the people? And, and frankly, aren't they well outside yep. their remit making calls and comments like that? Yeah, and, but, and this is where I talk about precedence. If you recall, when Phil Goff was mayor, um, he... Um, forced the um, cancellation of a venue for two Canadian speakers who were speaking here. People had paid tickets to hear someone speak and the mayor said, you know, no, we won't we won't allow it to happen. Um, so the precedent was set way back then when, you know, you have the interjection and it's not, you know, um, we had the Vice-Chancellor of Massey University who um, banned Don Brash from speaking about politics at Massey University. So, you know, the, the, this isn't new, but it's gained momentum because as soon as you let it happen once, precedent's been set and will continue to gain momentum. And, you know, if it, the the fear is that, and, and this is what we encounter so much, if you want to discuss any topic of race, um you know, people recoil in fear. So we can't even have honest, um, intelligent conversations about better solutions um, because people are so fear that fearful of you dipping your toe into a conversation. Um, it's, you know, this is really dangerous. And when you've got elected representatives who are doing it, um, we've got real problems. And, of course, it's not helped by the media. Uh, your friend and, and fellow trustee on Hobson's Pledge, uh, Don Brash, wrote a column uh, which was you know, disseminated uh, quite widely last week. I don't know whether he was tongue-in-cheek or not, but he suggested you as the new race relations commissioner to replace uh, <laughs> Ming Foon. Now, the chances of that happening are about as great as me being selected to play fullback for the All Blacks. Uh, but, but, uh, Probably the, less, actually, Peter, I'd say. <laughs> the pushback uh, in, in a column or an article in the stuff uh, newspapers at the weekend was just extraordinary because Don Brash was rubbished for suggesting he was the race relations commissioner because you would bring concepts such as uh, equality and one vote for all to the table. And gee, we can't have that, can we? Exactly. And and this is the, the what what they don't understand is the irony is that when you say Māori have to have a greater voice, you're not saying all Māori, you're just saying the Māori that we think agree with what we're saying. And and therefore, you remove the rights of individual Māori to have their individual opinions to, because we now aren't allowed. So so this is the idea that, you know, we want you know a, a larger Māori voice, we want more Māori representation. But as we see in Parliament, only if that Māori agrees with the... The, the agenda that – so this is why Karen Shaw gets attacked and Nicole McKee gets attacked because they say things that are contrary to what Māori is supposed to think and feel and believe. So – and that's where the attack on democracy is so scary. Um, you know, it's not that we, we want Māori to have a greater voice. We just want some Māori to have a greater voice. And and that's that's what's scary. And, and people even, forget that nearly nearly half of all Māori aren't on the Māori electoral roll. Yeah, that's right. Well, there was another extraordinary uh, column by the head of what is it, Te Wananga, the uh, Te Aumutu based uh, tertiary institution, saying that yep. uh, that, that uh, Māori should not have the opt in. Uh, option to go on the Maori roll. It should be an opt out. In other words, everybody should automatically go on the Maori roll. And if you want yeah. to go off it, uh, then you have to 
make the choice yourself. Uh, that man just seemed to be so ignorant of the process about getting on the electoral roll in the first place. He seemed to think that when yeah. you're born, you should go straight on the Maori roll. Well, that just doesn't happen. I mean, the reality is that everybody has to register to go on the electoral roll. You make your choice there and then. And the fact that, what, 50, yeah. 51% are only uh, on the electoral roll suggests that a great deal of Maori don't want to be involved in Maori politics. Or am yeah. I not reading that right? No, and that's exactly right. And this, and there's twofold to that. It's like suggesting that because you're Māori, you're too stupid to know that I want to choose this or that. I mean, it's just so patronising and offensive that that you know that that there's certain individuals who claim to represent the best interests of Māori, but that is predicated on an assumption that you know, I'll tell you what to think and I'll tell you what to believe and I'll tell you what to vote and I'll tell you what role to be on. And it's just, it's just makes me so angry that, you know, that the whole idea of, of democracy is that my individual voice and my individual identity is represented and I can choose not by group think, but I personally can choose how I want to vote and how I want to say. And and this is, you know, the the stuff that's come out with the electoral review recommendations that have been released um, and the frenzy of reviews that have been released for consultation as the government heads into an election, um, hoping that everybody's too distracted to notice. Um, you know, the electoral review is the same thing, this different, different electoral rights um, would be afforded to Māori versus versus non-Māori in terms of being able to be on a different role for local elections and central elections and opting in and out. And it's just, yeah, it's scary stuff. What is the Hobson's pledge status uh, as far as or, or stand on, on Māori electorates? I mean, we've had them since when the 1860s. They were a very early part of our electoral system. Uh, that uh, Royal Commission, which recommended MMP in the late 1980s, said they should go. Uh, the powers that be at the time didn't have the courage to drop them. Uh, I, I can never see them being removed from the New Zealand electoral system. Can you? And, no, and and that's that's worrying because if you consider that Māori are a hapu iwi-centric, you know, that, that's how we think and operate, then your representation should be local and immediate and accessible when you have these large Māori electorates that are massive, which is what the Royal Commission was saying, it's not the best opportunity for representation for Māori. So if you were actually being honest about what's best representation, what's the best opportunity to increase Māori representation, it's more localised, it's more um, um, iwi and hapu um, connected. But these massive Māori electorates aren't that and, and so they say they should exist because they've always existed is just a nonsense. If you are having an honest, and that was what was worrying, the electoral review specifically removed consideration of that under a review of the electoral system in New Zealand. I mean, it's a pretty big issue whether we have two roles in New Zealand is a pretty foundational issue, but it was removed from consideration. And if you were, you know, if if people would get over themselves and stop talking about, you know, this is a power win struggle thing, and they just looked at what's best, what would be the best representation that that Māori had the opportunity to have greater influence. But when you divide Māori with half Māori being on one role and half being on another, you weaken the Māori vote. And when you create these large um, Māori electorates that aren't very, you know, connected to to local iwi, um, then you're not going to get better representation. You're not going to get more in, involvement in Māori politics. Um, you're going to get less because it seems so disconnected. It's so far away from you know where I live and what I do day to day. I, you know, um, I just yeah, it's it's I I think they are. If people were truly honest, they're past their usefulness and they overcomplicate our electoral system. Um, and when you can see the level of representation of MPs in the House, you know, differentiated from the Māori role, just, you know, that the, the MPs that are 
elected, the number of Māori is higher than the number of Māori um, percentage-wise in the country. So we don't need it. Māori are repre- getting representation on our merit, on our capability. We don't need this separatist arrangement that you sit over there and, and we'll have this. And then you've got Heipuapu report, which is sort of, you know, touting this, you know, completely separate parliament and an upper Māori house and all those sort of things. It's just, you know, it's it's just not New Zealand. It's not who we are. Well, that proportionality you were talking about in terms of uh, MPs with a Maori ethnicity as a proportion of the House compared to their proportion of the population uh, has been greater, I believe, for the best part of 20 years. Yeah. I, I did some research on this. Yeah. Ever since the Parliament, which began after the 2002 election, I think there have been somewhere between 19 and 25 or 27% of MPs have been Maori, which is above yeah. what the census tells us the Maori population is. Yeah. yeah, and this yeah. government just bragged recently about having the highest number of Māori ministers in a cabinet ever in history. And yet have you seen one tangible improvement in Māori outcomes since they've been in government? Uh, not off the top of my head, Casey, no. No. <laughs> <laughs> and and so it, they, they argue that more Māori representation will deliver more better Māori outcomes, and yet the evidence is contrary. Well, we just need to look at uh, what's happening at Oranga Tamariki uh, to to see the um, evidence of that. I mean, Kelvin Davis was going on after the uh, Granya Moss uh, reign when she was in charge of Oranga Tamariki. Mm-hmm. It's time, she said, for a, what a by Maori for Maori solution to child care. Well, have things improved much ever since Granya Moss left, and it has no. been Maori's in charge. Yeah, and and again, this whole point that you know Māori will be treated differently in a system like that is—I mean, yes, there's cultural sensitivities, but first and foremost is what is best for the child, what will will protect them, make them safe, and and what is the best solution, and and immediate intervention putting aside the sensitivities of, you know, who might be offended or not be offended. I don't care. When I was a cop in South Auckland for 14 years, the just the horrific circumstances of children, and I couldn't imagine now walking into those situations and then having to, to consider sensitivities of ethnicity. First, protect the child. Remove the child, protect them, and then worry about who's going to be offended by what and, and who's going to... But the fact that you're paralysing the people that are there to try and do good by suggesting that, you know, only Māori. And, I mean, Alan Duff wrote some really amazing stuff on this issue in his book, The Conversation With My Country, that, you know, how, how could you suggest that an environment that caused this situation can be the environment the child needs to remain in? You know, that's... That's what needs to be fixed. Is is the solutions need to be smarter than this, you know, by Māori for Māori situation. And yes, there are some amazing people doing some amazing work with young people and protecting um, and creating safe environments and all those sort of things. But that's because they're good people with good hearts and good intentions. It doesn't mean all Māori do the right thing, and it doesn't mean all non-Māori do bad things. It's just individuals who are best suited a meritocracy system rather than an ethnic-based system. What's your reaction? What do you think of the the existence and the policies of the Maori Party and the two MPs that are in the House at the moment, Rawedi Waititi and and Debbie Narewa Packer? Do you believe they're doing anything at all for Maori in general or are they dangerously separatist with the policies and the statements they espouse on a very regular basis? I think they're desperately trying to gain relevance amongst a demographic that want somebody to say all the things they're saying in order to be, you know, shock and awe. But, I mean, let's be realistic. Um, they, they're like, you know, many who, you know, I will say what gives me the, the headlines and what makes it look good. But when you delve into what, what does that actually mean, how does that actually deliver, I mean, they're the party that the first issue he tackled was whether you wear a tie in the house. 
really? I mean, really? <laughs> that that was the thing that you 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 championed the first sort of stand you made in the house. Um, you know, the the naming of our country. You know, the the petition about you know renaming New Zealand as Aotearoa. You know, ignore the facts, ignore the history that it was never the name that Māori used for an entire country. Ignore that. Let's just create a story. We'll make a petition. We've even had a select committee considering it. Is that really the thing in this environment that Māori need? Is that really what's going to 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 make better outcomes? Is what we call our country? I mean, it's just distraction and and the hard work that needs to be done to deliver better outcomes is not being achieved by a party that wants to just get headlines and say shocking things that, um, you know, calling all New Zealanders stupid because they don't understand signage. You know, this, I mean, how how is that representing the people of New Zealand? And regardless of them being Māori Party elected, they are still elected in our House of Representatives to represent New Zealanders, and they have been open about the fact that they will only represent Māori. Well, what about the possibility, and this has been touted, and I don't know how far down the line the thinking is, that because Labour are in you know, in a very tight battle with the National Party for for getting the most votes uh, amongst the, the two major parties, the the reality of the possibility that Labor might basically throw the seven Maori seats, get Maori Party MPs elected there, get an overhang and get a majority in the House as a consequence of that overhang. In other words, get all seven Maori seats to Maori Party MPs and you have something like 125 MPs and a coalition of Labor, Greens and Maori Party would be running the country after the election. How, how do you, how do you think um, you, that scenario is going to play out? Can you imagine the caucus and trying to run a cabinet with that kind of mixture of issues and? Well, it's, it's appalling to me, but agendas. it's not beyond the realms of possibilities. <laughs> what I'm saying, Casey. Yeah, and and that's. But I suppose you look at um, um, Minister Mahuta has, has said that she is not going to be on the list. She's only going to stand in the electorate seat. So that announcement would suggest that she's not prepared to um, surrender the um, Māori seat. Um, so I'd, I'd say it's, you know, it's a, it's a theoretical, um, but I can't imagine Labor would be willing to... Um, Surrender the the Māori seats um, because you know it's it's. I mean, if if that was the case, then you know, Act and National could could take a similar uh, similar line, um, and um, and you know, create the overhang in the same way. Indeed, um, I just can't see it happening. Well, we hope not. Uh, what do you think of National contesting a couple of the, the Māori electorates? Are they wasting their time there, do you think, or is it uh, worthwhile them at least putting their hat in the ring? Yeah, I think it's very worthwhile. And and, and as Tarian Turi has you know, mentioned, that you know, she's she's come out supporting um, the candid, you know, one of National's candidates. And I, I think that and that's a, a good drive because it's suggesting that, you know, it, it's actually presenting Māori with a realistic option. And when you look at Māori party from the, the Māori voting um, party votes, their party votes are, are spread. Now, it's not, you know, so if there were options for candidates, I think that's when you, we can demonstrate that there is um, there is some real options presented and I know that you know with, with Māori voting it tends to be you know we've always voted this way so we'll always vote that way I think as as we start to realize that you know am I getting benefit am I as as my situation improving um, from the representative I've got perhaps it's time to look at someone else who's prepared to actually consider outcome rather than point scoring and you know um, Division as the go-to position of their electorate MP. So maybe I, th- I think it's I think it's definitely worth um, doing, and I think it's it, it shows respect um, for Māori voters that they're prepared to put good candidates and provide options for Māori voters okay. in that way. So can we ask 
a very basic question as we talk about race relations in this country. Is it time to actually define what a Māori is, or is that just impossible? Because it seems to me that if you want to be a Māori, it's very easy to become one. You just say that you are, and that's it. Yeah. And 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 that's, I think, if we if we could at least come to a decision around that, because when you're saying that, you know, outcomes are determined by, you know, Māori get worse outcomes, then you've got to determine that there's something about being Māori that changes your 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 outcome. Is it is it the genetics? Is it the um, is it your cultural beliefs? Is it you know what is it that you know changes the outcome? And just saying you know growing up and living your life as a you know member of society and suddenly going oh no actually it's I'm Māori and therefore I'm disadvantaged or I'm having this and when nothing in your life would suggest that you've lived any differently to anybody else. The self-identifying, I don't know, it's, it's you know, do you talk about your whakapapa? Do you talk about your, I, I mean, it's, it's. I mean, if you historically I think it was 50%. I think you had to be at least half Māori to, to be Māori, um, you know, we're, we're just a melting pot of a whole lot of different um, ethnicities. And, and I think that's where I struggle with is that to to be able to say I'm Māori, it's like, but I have to forego everything else. You know, it's like, <laughs> I, I think, you know, it would be useful. I think it's about time we sort of said, well, okay, um, if, if you're claiming this and this is how you live, what is different about you? What 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 is the differentiating factor from anyone else um, I mean I've, I've had instances where people have talked about you know how they've been you know followed around shops and you know that because I'm Māori and I've looked at them and thought no one would know looking at you no one would know that you were any different ethnicity to anyone else you just look like a New Zealander there's no outward but they have determined that because they've identified as Māori that then any treatment they get is because they're Māori and yet when you look at them you go I don't know how would you so it's it's what is the differentiation what is the thing that says you're different and I, I think it would be helpful to um, have some kind of understanding of what we define as a differentiation and this self-identifying thing you know yeah, I'm not sure it's 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 helping us move forward as a nation. What about yourself, Casey? Because with a name like Costello, uh, which is what Italian, Spanish, uh, no, but, but it's but actually Irish. It's actually Irish. Oh, there you go. Uh, yeah. But you know, some Irish came from Spain originally back in the days of yore. Uh, but but your your Napui uh, ancestry as well. So. Yeah. What, what do you think of yourself as? Do you think of yourself as a Māori or because, you know, you have brown, I, I brown skin, uh, but are you Māori yeah. or are you a New Zealander or are you Irish? What are you? I'm, I'm absolutely a New Zealander. always have been very proud of the fact that I'm a New Zealander. My, my father's family came here in the 1860s. Um, my mother's family's um, descend from Tamati Wakanini and Patuani, according to my whakapapa. So I, I had an absolute example of melting pot. The only reason I started going, hang on a minute, was when I had more and more people say they speak for Māori. And I went, hang on, <laughs> who gave you the authority to speak for me? And and that was when I started to kind of, you know, what was that, 2016? Um, started to sort of notice the fact that, um, that people were claiming to speak for me had less Māori than I did. And I started thinking, well, hang on. If, if that's how you play the game, then no, you, I'm going to stand up and say, okay, I'm a New Zealander, but um, this is this is this is my, you know, this is what brought me to this country, and um, I, th- I think it's um, as it was a Martin Luther King comment that you know we 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 may have all come here by different ships, but we're in the same boat now, and and that's kind of what I think we should be as a nation. Well, I mean, that is the way that I was always brought up to think. I mean, I'm as Scottish as the day is long as well, and I have not one drop of, uh, of Maori blood inside me. But even growing up in the South Island, it was we are all equal. 
in this country and mm. that we are all New Zealanders. Yet somehow, and I don't know when the movement started, maybe it was the so-called Maori renaissance of the early 1970s, somehow the drive for separatism started then and it's only increased in pace, increased in intensity and certainly being driven along by the likes of this Heipuapua report. And it seems to me the great irony of the Heipuapua report is that the lead author, Dr. Claire Charters from Auckland University, is, from what I can gather, at most uh, 25% Māori because she has three out of four uh, grandparents who are European, yet she somehow clings mm. to that 25% as the important quarter of her of her bloodline, and therefore yeah. that drives and, everything and, that she thinks. Yeah, and defines her identity as such, and that's... That's the part that it's like, you know, how how did we come to be who we are? Because we're a, a collective result of a whole lot of things that influenced. And this is where um, I, I get so sad about the fact that we're now teaching our kids in schools that you're manahiri or tangata whenua. You know, what, what's this tangata tiriti? You know, this this idea that, you know, we're, we're not visitors in our own country. We are... New Zealanders. This is our home. This is where we live. This is, this is, you know, this is our nation. And to suggest that we're somehow visitors in, in our own country, and, and um, you know, Professor James Allen spoke about the Hapuapu report, and he was saying to suggest that, you know, seven of your grandparents oppressed one of your grandparents, your great grandparents. You know, this is this is the irony that we're kind of saying that. So therefore, I'm oppressed because of this you know, melting pot of identity that you've got to be, be the person you are today. Um, you know, it's, it's just, it's weird. It's, it's, so, it's so irrelevant. And, and I feel sad that we, you know, and I, one of my very early speeches, I talked about the fact that we have reached the point where I have to choose my ethnicity over my citizenship. I cannot just be a New Zealander. I have to identify as something or something you know it's um that's you know and as you said we all grew up we were just us we're just kiwis we had different personalities and different backgrounds but we didn't we never were challenged on you know our right to speak as new zealand or our rights as to access to health or you know that was Frightening. And well, the saddest part of it all is that every time you make comments like that in this day and age and try and say equal rights for all, uh, particularly when you're pushing back against uh, what are very obviously some extra rights for Māori, such as in extra voting rights at the Canterbury Regional Council, for instance, with their um, with with their seats on there over and above the uh, the general seats, uh, you're regarded as racist, and that seems to be the pushback all the time. It's that the two most common words on uh, in articles on this matter seem to be racist and dog whistling, and that's yeah. just the pushback. That's the the go to line. There is no rational discussion, and that's the most frustrating thing about it. It's as if what people like you and I are saying cannot be argued against rationally. The only way to combat what we're saying is abuse through words like racism and dog yeah. whistling. You find that too? Oh, absolutely. That's why we, we um, at Hobson's Pledge, we actually did, you know, I wrote an OIA request to all the ministers asking for a definition of racism. What what does their ministry use as the definition of racism when you're you know you're you're attacking everybody for being racist what is the definition that you use and not only didn't I get an answer and a recognition that they don't actually have a definitive answer of racism um, I was accused of just trying to create an argument um, and that you know that that they didn't need to respond because I was just trying to create an argument. Ironically, didn't get an answer at all from the Race Relations Commissioner. He didn't even he didn't even respond. Was he working? Was he still there at the time? He, that's before he resigned. Yes, Fine. I, I got I got the email saying he'd get right back to me. Um, got the email acknowledging it and that he'd get right back to me. Um, and then no no response at all. And then the Human Rights Commission, who, you know, um, is responsible for the Race Relations Commissioner, um, said that they broadly use these references and the Minister of Justice refused to um, provide an answer at all. 
Okay, um, well, if, yeah. if if Don Brash's suggestion of you becoming the race relations commissioner ever comes to pass, <laughs> and uh, some uh, so, some uh, correspondent such as somebody like yourself asked the question, what would you, as the race relations commissioner, reply? How would you reply if you were asked to give a definition of racism? I, I think I'd use the dictionary definition that it's it's when you one group. Um, determines superiority or dominance, assuming you know weakness or you know um, I'd have to look up the dictionary to finish. But it's basically that that idea of one race assuming they're superior to another race and therefore treating them as inferior, and that's that's truly what racism is. And that's that's when and they they can't use that definition because they can't prove. That one race is doing, you know, o- operating on an assumption that the other they're superior to the other race. Yeah. So what you're um, suggesting is that the definition depriving them of yeah the definition is what happened in apartheid South Africa, where one race yeah. did assert its superiority over the other, and yet we had the Maori Party yeah. on its website for a long time uh, saying that Maori are genetically superior to non-Maori, didn't they? And, now, superior, and superior in sport and, you know, that we're, you know, all of those things, which if anybody else said it was would be abhorrent. But, you know, they it, – it's and this dog whistle racism, it's like I won't debate the issue. I'll just, you know, prevent you from even having the discussion. Mm. And, and that's, you know, I, I, I just don't – you know, we don't get better solutions by not being able to talk and debate what's really going on. And there are amazing people doing amazing things, but they're getting swallowed up. Um, and and I mean, it's, it's just I, I just get angry that that we can't just talk about the issues. We've got to distract ourselves with making everything about race at the moment and not about what's what's good outcomes. How do you view the Waitangi Tribunal? I I think that it's gone way past its use by date. It's it's now just becoming a mechanism for. Um, it's gone way way past what it was intended to do, which was to speed up the claims and settlements. Now it's become almost a. Um, Judicial process that's forcing outcomes that you know that forcing things to happen that are well beyond what its remit was when it was set up. Um, it's it's no longer necessary. There is sufficient access and capacity within the court system to deal with issues that arise. Um, it's yeah, and and I mean if you've got you know the likes of Michael Bassett who spent so long. Uh, on the Waitangi Tribunal recognising that there's massive issues in New Zealand, then I think we can say it's it's no longer fit for purpose. Um, and, and we have, you know, I mean, the reason it was set up, I can understand we, I have never opposed the concept of settlements um, and redress that, that was needed to put these things to rest. But we've gone well past that now. And, um, you know, it's being used as a mechanism to force co-governance into um, a whole range of areas that it, it shouldn't be. And, and, and it's, not, it's not achieving. There's still, Māori is still acting as aggrieved, even the iwi that have had settlements and signed the settlements, it hasn't resolved. There's still the same level of grievance there was before the settlements occurred. Yes. What about the Napui settlement? Is there ever any chance of Napui settling, or are you going to have to break up into various sub iwi to, uh, to 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 get a Waitangi settlement yeah, I'd, there? I'd agree. I think Chris Finlayson said the same thing. I don't think you're ever going to reach a settlement as an as an iwi collectively. Um, I just think there's just too much, and and also there's been too much expectation created. You know, when when you're up north, and that's where I'm from, is that you you there's an expectation that you know I'll never have to work again because we're going to be paid out, um, and you know my economic prosperity will be coming. And 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 how damaging to young people when you're telling them that 
you know, sit back and wait. Your economic prosperity is on on its way. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to work hard. You don't have to, you know, that that the demotivating impact when you've got a whole lot of leaders who are trying to gain relevance saying, you know, we're going to get this deal and it's going to be great and we're going to do this. And it's not. It's not going to change, you know, tangibly anybody's lifestyle at all. But that's what the the expectation is. And when you've created such a massive expectation, there's never going to be a settlement big enough that's going to make um, – and, and people forget there were, was no land confiscation. There was no instances of land confiscation in Northland. So – I'm not sure quite what we're settling, but... Uh, well, people want some money. The other thing about the settlements uh, and the subsequent investment of that money is that there have been massive... There's been massive wealth creation. We think of Tainui, we think of Naitahu. Yet, you know, the, the whole Tainui thing just intrigues me or does it appall me that you've got this billion-dollar operation with the likes of Tuku Morgan making all sorts of noises at the top of it, yet, what, 20k down the road from Turangawaiwai, you've got the town like Huntley, which has some of the, the oh. poorest people in New Zealand. So, you know, 25 years after that settlement and the building up of huge assets, why is there not more wealth, more prosperity amongst, say, the people of Huntley, who surely are mostly Tainui anyway? I mean, what, what's going on in that respect? And that's, that's the part where the, you've got to analyse the trickle-down effect. And if you look at the development in Huntley, which is with the Sleepyhead factory, that was all done by, you know, the, the demonised, you know, corporate New Zealand that, you know, the, the privileged people that, you know, apparently are doing such bad things for the country and the capitalists. Huntley's growth is as a result of an individual business saying, you know, we could do something here, we could create a massive business and housing and work locally and all of those sort of things. That wasn't done, you know, they, they've they've involved um, iwi and they've, you know, had to bring them along the journey with them. Um, but it wasn't, it wasn't um, Tainui that did it. Um, and, and the same as, you know, when we have you know, um, Ngāti Whātua Auraki and these these iwis that are highly successful through land ownership and, you know, gaining capital value of, of property, um, there's lots of, you know, you know, bragging about how successful, but no evidence of the trickle-down occurring that is providing better outcomes for Māori. Um, and that's where, you know, you have concerns about, you know, what... What is the benefit for for Māori? Um, and unless you've managed to um, put yourself in a position of like you know the Tuku Morgans of this world, where you're highly relevant and highly important and self-promoting, um, and no evidence that you know anybody's even able to challenge your position, um, um, getting wealthier and wealthier. Um, the concern is that you know they actually reach a point where you need Māori to not succeed. You need Māori to remain vulnerable and at risk in the statistic that allows them to retain relevance. Um, and and they can do it. They, they don't have to be accountable for not delivering anything um, because they can always blame a system as to why Māori is in such a bad situation. Um, but they promote themselves as the hero or the you need me in this role to you know get you out of poverty um, but if I don't get you out of poverty it's okay because it's the system you know it's that racist system that failed not me mm. and it's just a downward spiral as far as I can see and it sounds like it's a completely self-sustaining industry as well because mm. you never want anybody to improve in their life because that means the industry the grievance yeah. industry is all over and we can't yeah, possibly you don't need have that anymore. because so, people will be out yeah. of the job. So just yeah. finally, Casey, and we've, we've traversed a great lot of topics on this broad subject of race relations in this country. Uh, te reo. Uh, it's a bit hard to um, not hear te reo on a daily basis these days, which is not necessarily a, a bad thing. Uh, because we hear lots of it on the radio and on the TV. It's it's the, the combination of the two in the same sentence, which gets on my wick. Uh, but yeah. uh, English is not an official language of New Zealand. Isn't it about time that some politician off the back bench 
just took a private member's bill or even maybe a party policy bill into the House and said, hey, everybody, let's do something. Let's just tidy up a few loose ends here and make English an official language of New Zealand because that's what everybody speaks here. Yeah, and and so we, you know, Hobson's Pledge are running a, a petition at the moment to, to gather signatures um, on that very issue to try and encourage uh, an incoming member to to take that bill. Damage is nothing. Damage is no one. It's it's. Um, but what we're seeing, why it's becoming so important, is that we're seeing more and more legislation that is being introduced with Māori terms and and terminology um, being inserted into legislation. ACT actually tried to get one of the RMA reform legislations to clarify um, um, Māori, you know, to, to define the Māori term of Matarangi Māori. In, in the legislation and it was refused because that definition is fluid and it can change over time And but it's in our law how can you have legislation that has terms that is indefinable in English um, and, and hold people to account to it and we're getting more and more of that terminology not defined, not explained inserted into English legislation. Now, I don't care if you want to have completely in Māori and completely in English the two bills, if that's what you want to do. But inserting Māori words without definition, I mean, we're nearly 200 years on from the treaty and we're still debating what that meant. Um, you know, what are we going to do with these laws? It's It, it has yeah. to be done. We have to decide. Um, it's it's like the, you know, um, the Maori um, Maori language on the road signs that the you know that's it, it's a distraction, but it's not going to keep the Maori language alive. It's not you don't you don't bastardize a language and insert words into another language and think you're keeping that language alive. The Maori language is beautiful. It's it's. Um, oratory was a very powerful part of, of the culture. To suggest that we're going to keep that culture alive by inserting, I mean, one of the signs is um, for a breakdown sign is waka pakaru. That's one of the signs they're inserting is, you know, to keep the Māori language alive and to show our culture. I mean, it's just, it's 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 an insult to a beautiful language. It's not helpful for so, so um, spell that allowing for me. people to understand. Does that waka as in W-A-K-A, waka, and then what, pakaru, P-U-K? Pakaru, P-A-K-A-R-A-U. Which means the waka's puckered, basically. Is that what they're yeah. translating? Yeah. yeah. Seriously? Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> and that's one of the signs they've recommended to put on the I mean, the, the one for a cyclist ahead, there's about, I think there's six words in Māori with cyclists ahead at the bottom of it. Now, do you think anyone, given that only 4% of New Zealanders can actually hold a conversation in Māori, do you think anyone's going to work out that that means cyclist till they get to the bottom of the sign? And by then, your cyclists are skittles, aren't they? <laughs> it's just Yeah, I mean, the, the nonsense around that particular argument is... Just nonsense. Uh, but in terms, and, and so the but, English but in terms of language would mean we could, yeah, we could have legislation in English because when you put a Mataranga a Maori into, say, the new um, replacement bill for the um, Resource Management Act, I mean, even um, the judge, the Chief Justice herself, uh, has said there could be ten years of legal arguments deciding what this actually means. So how's that going to yeah. speed up planning legislation? Yeah. And, yeah. and it's when you're talking about this is about your sensitivities and what you think and, you know, it's just, yeah, <laughs> we're, we're on a dangerous path. Indeed we are. And I don't really know how it's going to stop, uh, Casey. Uh, maybe David Seymour's bill to say let's remove all reference to the Treaty of Waitangi from all New Zealand legislation. Uh, if he puts that in as a bottom line, if he can get into government with the National Party, is that going to solve anything or is that just going to make things fester even more amongst the disaffected and uh, those leading the grievance industry? I, I think that it, we need that kind of strength. We need that kind of bottom line strength to say, no, this is this is who we are. We're a nation. We have a history. We... We, you know, there's good things and bad things have happened in our history, but we are now looking forward. And um, Sarapara Nanata wrote that extensively. 
that we need to look forward, not look back. And and whilst we're continually looking backwards, we will never, ever move forward with better outcomes. And I think he's, that's exactly right. We need that strong line position. We need a massive correction so that we start holding politicians accountable for outcomes and not continue to be distracted by the idea of of race and you know ethnicity determining you know who gets what in the in the in the pie that we're just we're paralyzed by it and until some some party and some government strongly states this is who we are as a nation and let's move forward um, we'll be floundering around like this for decades. Casey Costello, as always, an absolute pleasure talking to you. Uh, you are Thank you, a very strong woman and, gosh, we could only hope for an appropriate electoral outcome come the 14th of October because, frankly, the option is just too awful to think about, really. Exactly. I totally agree, Peter, and thank you very much for your time. Thanks for tuning in to RCR, Reality Check Radio. If you like what you're listening to, Or even better, if you don't agree with what you're listening to, then get in touch with us now. You can text us with your message to 2057, that's 2057. Or if you'd rather email us, you can at inbox at realitycheck.radio. We would love to hear from you, so get in touch with us now.